Welcome to What She Said, A Thrill of Hope. I'm Amanda Wood, and today is Thursday, December 15th. Today we are going to be looking at Luke 2, 4 through 7, and I am super excited about what we're getting into now because not only is Jesus arriving on the scene after all of this study, but this is the place where I started learning when I was doing my own study and the work for this podcast and devotional, um, this is where I started learning a lot of things that I never realized before. So today we're going to look at a couple of things that I think are going to be very different from the way you imagine the birth of Jesus and the nativity scenes that we see in yards and at churches and in our own mantles at home. Um, and a much more full picture of what this probably looked like in reality that uh, maybe was a lot more chaotic and a lot less serene and peaceful um, than we might imagine it. So let's get going with Luke 2, 4 through 7. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So we're picking back up with Mary and Joseph here as they're traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem through Galilee and Judea. Bethlehem is just outside of Jerusalem, and it was approximately an 80-mile trip for the couple. And that's a very significant trip, especially for a pregnant woman. Um, And there was really no good way to get anybody from point A to point B at that point. We said yesterday that a lot of new roads had been developed, which were, were significant and were a great asset to traveling about the Roman Empire at that time, but they didn't have cars and they didn't have a smooth way to transport people with any sort of speed. So this was walking, this was wagons, um, and this was likely for Mary, um, we know historically and we guess and we see in a lot of our recreations, um, her riding on a donkey, perhaps. We don't know for sure. We often picture this. We don't know for sure whether or not Mary was actually on a donkey. Obviously, you can see in the text, it doesn't say that she was on a donkey, but we do know it was a historically common animal to use for such a trip. But I like to think that she actually did because of a theory I recently saw floated. If Mary rode a donkey, Mary would have ridden it while pregnant with Jesus through the east gate of Jerusalem from where she lived in Nazareth on the way to Bethlehem. She would have had to pass through this east gate of Jerusalem because that would have been the road from where she started, where the text tells us, out of Nazareth into Judea to Bethlehem that would have required a pass through Jerusalem from the east gate to the other side. So if Mary, pregnant with Jesus, actually rode through on a donkey through the east gate of Jerusalem on the way to Bethlehem, it was a sort of foreshadowing of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem for Jesus on Palm Sunday. 
Jesus rode through the east gate of Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday, introducing himself as the king. Jesus may have actually bookended his life on earth, riding on a donkey through the east gate of Jerusalem. There's no way to know for sure. As I said, we don't know for sure for a like firm historic fact that Mary, in fact, rode on a donkey. But I think God often does such things. I've talked many times about his symbolism and how he repeats these events and he foreshadows things. And it just feels like something he would do. So that's pretty soft as proof as far as reasoning goes. But it's a story that I really enjoy and I like to think about. Because Mary and Joseph were actually betrothed at this point and not yet married, um, historians have kind of ascertained that it does not appear Mary would have legally needed to accompany Joseph to Bethlehem. Remember that as a betrothed woman, she is still legally a member of her father's house, not Joseph's. What we may be seeing here is that Joseph was actually protecting Mary by keeping her with him. There was likely a lot of gossip and eyes going on back home in Nazareth, and possibly some amount of aggression directed at Mary for her scandalous pregnancy, and possibly at Joseph for not divorcing her. Many probably assumed that the child was in fact Joseph's, and he and Mary were both in sin. While we know the angel appeared to Joseph to explain the situation surrounding Mary and the Son of God, Um, We see that in Matthew. This angel didn't appear to everyone in Mary's town. He didn't appear to all the judgmental Pharisees or, you know, synagogue Susan and her gossipy friends. This is where we see that oftentimes serving the Lord will, in fact, cost us something. Just because we're working for God doesn't mean we're sailing down easy street. But he also cares for us like he did for Mary. And he cared for Mary in one way, by giving her a good man who would take her and keep her and care for her in this difficult season. Another thing about the birth of Christ in this story that we often default to thinking about um, is that they are traveling to Bethlehem, like right on the verge of Mary delivering. And we often picture it, as Mary and Joseph arriving in uh, Bethlehem with Mary kind of already in the throes of labor and they're just looking for any place where they can crash so that she can have this child. A lot of um, religious traditions in countries around the world enact this exact thing where they will have parades of children go through the streets and act as if they are Mary and Joseph looking for lodging for themselves to have the Christ child. So this is a common perception, and it's one that's totally understandable from the way that we read the text. But um, it really may well not have been the case. The phrase that is used is, while they were there. So any amount of time may have actually passed between the arrival of Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus. This wasn't a quick trip. They would not have been in and out of Bethlehem in like the matter of a few days. It wouldn't have been planned that way. And even in the ancient world, the process of the census actually took a decent amount of time. So while everyone traveled, they would have traveled and they would have stayed there for a while. And it might have been that Mary and Joseph planned an even 
longer amount of time due to Mary's pregnancy. And um, I've heard suggested perhaps due to the fact that things were kind of rough socially for them back in Nazareth. Perhaps they were thinking that they would use Bethlehem as a slightly longer term respite from that uncomfortable situation. So the text says, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So this is another place that we operate with some misconceptions in the Christmas story. First, we picture this nativity and it's always this like barn structure. But Jesus probably wasn't born in a barn structure at all, but likely a cave being used as an animal space. Um, This was common in the ancient world. Animal stabling was typically in a cave. This would keep the animals cool in the heat of the day, but then also warmer on the cool nights in the desert climate that they resided in. So that's not too far off from what we think, but some of the rest probably is. There was no hotel in Bethlehem that didn't have a space for Mary and Joseph. Instead, what this inn word is likely referring to is the fact that ancient homes were built with an upper room that was often reserved for and given to guests that were passing through to stay for a while. And so the most likely translation of inn is this known upper room, a guest room, a lodging quarter, but in the home of a family member. But during a time with so many visitors, that room may have likely already been full. And that's what they're talking about. They went to the home of Joseph's family, the place where they were anticipating staying, and the guest room was already full. But it would not have been normal in the ancient world for you to then be turned away by your family. In Jewish culture, they're not just going to be like, nope, get out of here, see you. They would probably have welcomed Mary and Joseph into the downstairs portion of the home with the family who lived in the house. Additionally, the homes were typically built up against caves that they used for that barn space. So the barn with the animals would have been a part of like this one large single room home. So if Mary and Joseph were um, invited in with the family to stay on the family's main level, they may well have been sleeping in this like back cave space, maybe them and others, to make a space for everyone to kind of spread out and have a little place to lie. Um, And she clearly gave birth in a space like that. But it's unlikely that the two of them, Mary and Joseph, were totally alone and like banished to a barn out on their own somewhere. Um, They were in likely the family home in the barn space at the back. Mary may have even had other women from Joseph's family to attend to her birth, um, but they weren't her people, right? She's with Joseph. She's with his family. So this was still a difficult situation, a young girl apart from home and on her own. Swaddling clothes is um, a Greek word for to tear because this is just like strips of old fabric that she's using, right? Like it's not some special little baby onesie or those funny little um, one-piece swaddlers that we get at the hospitals these days. It was just some cast-off fabric that they got from who really even knows where. Nobody really knows exactly 
where Jesus was born. Obviously, we know it was in Bethlehem. We know that it was in a stable situation, but we don't really know precisely where this occurred. But in 330 AD, Constantine the Great, who was the first Christian Roman emperor, um, built a church over top of a cave that was believed to be the place that Jesus was born. This cave actually is still considered the most probable location um, by archaeology and history. Going back to our passage in Luke 2, 4 through 7, I'm struck by the simplicity and honestly like just brevity with which Luke describes the actual birth of Jesus. Let's read that part again. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's all we know about the entry, the moment of the entry of the Messiah into the world. That's all we know about what happened in that stable area wherever it was situated, and whatever manner of accommodations precisely Mary and Joseph had. It's such a stark contrast to the majestic and supernatural thing which has just taken place to simply say, and he was born. The Savior of the world, God's only Son, the Messiah has arrived. He has become a human man, and not just any human man, he has become a helpless little baby, born to peasant parents in the most humble of circumstances. Regardless of what exactly the stable looked like or what exactly the situation of the home that they were in was, it was humble. It was not fit for what we would say a king deserves. And separated from her own family, we see um, Mary very alone. We see no indication that the birth of Jesus was attended by a crowd of family and musicians outside waiting for the birth of the son and the announcement like John. And even if Mary had been with her family in her home in Nazareth, chances are no one was celebrating what they likely saw as a forbidden and salacious pregnancy. Mary had a very humble and lonely birth. And the original language of the text does seem to indicate that she, in fact, wrapped Jesus in those swaddling cloths all on her own. What we see in the lack of pomp and circumstance for Jesus and his entry into the world is that there was no room for him. There was no room for him in whatever accommodations. There was no room for him literally on the earth. There was no place to lay him other than a feeding trough for animals. There was no room for him here, and there was never any room for him here until space was suddenly made for him on the cross. Jesus had both a natural entry into and exit from this world, and it was somewhat shrouded in shame. He came to a young pregnant woman who was unmarried. Now, we know what was really happening there, but that doesn't change what many around Mary and Joseph saw. So to them, Mary was in a state of shame. And then he was killed in the most shameful and terrible way possible on the cross. Shame bookended his life 
as far as the world was concerned. And this is not the life fit for a king, but it's the exact life that God chose for his son. These things didn't happen to Jesus by accident. They happened to Jesus the same way everything happens to any of us. They happen as part of God's sovereign plan. Jesus came to this earth in the lowest way possible, and they esteemed him not. He was truly one of us. We have all felt that way in this world. We have all felt used and abused and unwanted, like there was never room for us anywhere. Jesus identifies with us in these feelings. He truly became one of us. I'll leave you with one of my favorite verses from the entire Bible, which is John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you.